Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Paddy. In today's special rambling in the TARDIS, we take a look back at the man who started it all, the first Doctor as portrayed by William Hartnell. We will be talking about his strengths and his weaknesses and picking out our best and worst episodes for him. We would also love to hear your thoughts on this incarnation of the Doctor, so to join on the discussion you can check us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravellingteamp at teampproductions.com. So. So. Doc Bill. Yes, the original. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, you know, when a doctor leaves and like you, you've watched him for X amount of time, you get, you get a bit sad. Mm. But this is slightly different because I now get the chance to actually discuss it, you know, discuss his run with... Um, someone that's actually kind of been there on the journey with me, mm. and I think it's I think it, it hits a bit more home now that you know it, it feels like we've actually watched it live, and this is the first and you know oh my God he's <laughs> gone he's not coming back as opposed to the wonderful world where like you know there's DVDs and <laughs> we can always just go back and rewatch our favorite moments again you know but you see what I mean yeah yeah I know I do it's uh, you know I think we've kind of hit on it in several episodes before but. I never really, it's not that I didn't think a lot of William Hartnell as the Doctor, that's that's being cruel about it. Hmm. He wasn't a priority Doctor for me, I'll put it that way. Hmm. When I first started watching Doctor Who back in college, I quickly latched on to Ian and Barbara in his run and I got like pretty much all the stories I could get with Ian and Barbara. Hmm. And then when that ended... I just didn't feel like continuing with him. Hmm. And so I didn't. And as well, like, you kind of hopped around with Ian and Barbara as well. Like, you didn't watch them in sequence. Yeah, I watched them in whatever order I could get the DVDs in. So, yeah. you know, I think I watched the Romans first. Uh, or no, maybe it was Keys and Marinus because you got me Keys and Marinus. So I think it was probably Keys and Marinus first. Then the Rescue and the Romans because they came in a box set. Then the first three because they came in a box set and it was sort of yeah. hopscotchy around the whole thing. I think The Chase I probably watched last actually hmm. just because um, it was kind of awkward for me to get the DVD at the time I think. Yeah because you can only get it with the Space Museum. Yeah. But you see like it, it's amazing like you know like the difference in your perception like you'll say like when you jump around uh, House of Pain jump around uh, <laughs> That you know, like you you kind of pick up on different things, but when you watch it in sequence, you see the character arc a bit better or a bit more differently. Yeah, and and that's definitely something. Like I know, you know, people always say like, "Oh, I want to get into Hartnell." You know, I want to you know, watch from the beginning, and you see always like you see it on like you know, we've mentioned that we're a part of a Facebook group that's really really welcoming. And, you know, everyone can share their opinion and stuff. And even still in that group, you get a lot of comments saying, oh, it's really hard to watch, you know, start with John Pertwee instead or, you know, only watch X, Y and Z. And Well, see, someone made a valid point there and like, and it's something like I've kind of realized as well because I'm kind of in that same boat is that it, for me anyway, I think it's a very rare exception that unless you're raised on that type of storytelling unless you're raised on that type of media like black and white stuff or serialized storytelling it can be a bit harder to get into from a modern viewing audience 
No, as I said, with, 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 with exception, obviously, there are people that can do it. But I think as a general rule of thumb, I think it's for some people, it's harder to go back to older stuff if you're kind of, if your TV taste are towards the modern. And I think, I know I was going to say like that, like kind of a lot of stuff now is that, we've noticed in a lot of shows, there is an, like especially sci-fi shows, there's an overarching plot that runs through the entire season. More so than say like, you know, prime example, like The Mandalorian. It's eight episodes long and it's got this uh, plot. And in the first season where there was those three standalone episodes, a lot of people I saw online were like freaking out over the fact that it was like, you know, where is this going? Why where isn't the story continuing? And it's the case of is standalone watching is that gone now? Is that is that whole thing gone? And it has to be focused on a, an overarching story plot. My argument to that though, for people using that as you know, oh, don't watch the the Hartnell era or whatever the case might be is all of Doctor Who up until the break was yeah. serialized. You know, you could theoretically. I mean, I know like Big Finish, and we've had like books and stuff that sort of mm. insert stories in between. But particularly for Bill Hartnell's era, and I don't know about Patrick Troughton's. Um, I know that the first season of Tom Baker, it is literally one continuous story. Hmm. going the whole way through so if you're the type of person who you love the mandalorian or star trek discovery or game of thrones or something like that where you like a continuous story going forward the classic series makes more sense to watch than the new stuff because the new stuff yeah it has an overarching story but often there's standalone stuff that don't contribute to it i know my point being that i would have been of the opinion that like oh just you know here's like a handful of his favorite stories watch those Hmm. and then move on and now i my recommendation would be just start at the beginning if particularly if you're a doctor who fan Hmm. do you know like if you're a fan of doctor who and you're a fan of the doctor as a character then the arc is there from the very beginning and it's so great to watch it unfurl one no i was gonna say definitely with the first because we kind of made the point after we had watched the first three stories that the first three stories are like the prologue to everything that's about to come because of the character building for all four of the characters before four of them for like susan ian barber and the doctor specifically i suppose more so for the doctor given he is the title character yeah but i think for me the thing that i found is that like in people you know our listeners probably caught on to it in our later stories you know ian and barbara left i was devastated still am but i wanted to keep watching for bill like i wanted to see what william hartnell was going to do with the character mm. and i got really odd <laughs> when he wasn't there to do it um so i think like you know for me you know it's been a very pleasant surprise hmm and I'm really glad that we did this. And with that, I think we should get into the man, the myth, the legend himself. Yep. As to So the way we usually do this is we do strengths, then weaknesses, then best episodes and worst episodes. So starting off with strengths and weaknesses, uh, the easier of the portions <laughs> that this was to prepare on yeah. my part, I know. 
Paddy, what do you think are the doctor's strengths? Cool. Man of science, hear his test tubes clink. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that from the, from the start, he is, he is a scientist. Like he's in an earthly child, he's out there taking his readings, smoking his pipe, which, you know, it, it doesn't make an appearance again. But, you know, it's just hop, 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 hop. Um, like the, it's the man of science thing that runs the whole way through. And we actually see that come to the fore in some really, really good stories for him. So that was, and like, it, the, there's like, I suppose that like the educational component of that as well, you know, for a kid's TV show was great. Um, I like that he's quite caring and nurturing as well in his own way. Once he, once he gets to know someone and once that yeah. relationship is established, then it's the grandfather figure that a lot of people talk about. And it's it's really evident in the way that he like he looked after obviously, you know, there was Susan who was his granddaughter, uh, then you have Vicky and even like Barbara who he acted more like a dad than a grandfather to. Mm. But he but he also had his kind of parental moments with Ian. Yeah. Yeah. No, not to the same extent as with the the girls or the the female companions but he did have those moments with him and it was really cool then you know for being such an older gent he's very mischievous he's very impish <laughs> um and like you know he's just like i love it when he gets the upper hand on someone because like it's like he just does this whole haha type thing uh and then he does these little yoda cackle and <laughs> that's that and I think the last thing that really, I think it shines true on all the doctors. And this was something that, you know, a lot of stuff gets lost doctor to doctor in terms mm. of uh, characteristics. But obviously that change, that's going to change because it's, you know, a different person playing him. It's not the same. It's not like James Bond. It's not a different actor playing the same person as such. Um and but the one thing that has kind of run true is that this do- the doctor has this never-ending delight when he sees new things. He's traveled so long and so far and seen so much, but whenever something is new to him, there is still that oh my god, it's new! I need to do science on it, and I l- I love that because the genuine enthusiasm that William Hartnell has in this role and for moments like that. Uh, I think a good example of that is the Keys of Marinus where they're under the illusion and Ian asks him if that is like some specific um, machine and he's like oh yes it is it is and it's just like childlike wonderment it's great how about you? Uh, this week I'm going to claim that you read my notes <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering why you were like giving me that look <laughs> uh, no I had um, two of the same ones that you had so hmm. um, I suppose I'll do them in the order that you did them the main thing about this doctor is, you know, every doctor has their sort of quirk. Yeah. You know, um, Tom Baker was the vagabond. Um, yeah. John Pertwee is James Bond. Um, you know, Capaldi is the sort of rock star type character. And they each bring their own he's, little he's d- quirks dad to ba- it. Dad band. Yeah. yeah. Like, cool dad band. Um yeah. You know, Jodie is uh, optimism and just this constant bubbliness and stuff like that. And I I do agree with you that for William Hartnell, this doctor is a scientist, first and foremost. Mm. Do you know? And when I was writing my notes, I was like, this may be a kind of silly strength to pick, really. But I think it's important for people to remember that 
he wasn't a hero at the start of this story. You know, he wasn't turning up on planets and helping to save the day and helping to defeat the bad guy. He was cataloging planets and taking and taking readings and, you know, doing sciencey stuff. That's why he traveled. He traveled to learn. And even like we saw in the Daleks that he encouraged other people to learn about their own history. And he's very mm. much about that, which given the original pitch for the show which is kind of pseudo educational in yeah. a way having the main character be someone who promotes learning and is all about learning about new things i think is great and also you know one of the things that i've seen leveled at william hartnell's doctor is obviously he's an old man yeah he is there's no getting away from that but whereas I made the error of just looking to Ian and Barbara to solve the problem because, you know, Ian was the muscle and <laughs> Barbara was often the brains. Yeah. Um, if you actually watch it in order and you actually pay attention to William Hartnell himself, you see that as a scientist, he more often than not uses his brains to get him out of a situation. Hmm. rather than Ian's brawn or yeah. Stephen's brawn or whatever the case may be. Or or his own brawn in certain circumstances. Or his own brawn in certain circumstances. Yeah, exactly. Now, sometimes his brain won't get everyone out of the situation, but usually gets him out of his immediate situation hmm. so that he can then go and help it going forward. So I think the fact that he's a scientist is an important part of... <laughs> Just like that certain... The Ghostbusters think, back off, man, I'm a scientist. <laughs> Um, the other one that you had that as well is his mischievousness and I paired that with his wit. Yeah. You know, we've often described his Yoda-like nature, although chronologically Yoda had Hartnell-esque qualities. Yeah. It's what makes the first Doctor who he is though. And Mm. one of the reasons why I find that a strength is A, it makes him a very easy character to like. When we get to some of his weaknesses, you maybe think you wouldn't like him at yeah. all. <laughs> but he uses that mischievousness and that wit, again, using his brain to get him out of situations. You know, playing someone off someone else or, you know, out thinking someone. And it's great to see this sort of, again, older gentleman traveling the universe, just sort of like giggling away to himself. <laughs> <laughs> Do you yeah. know like when he notices something and he gets this sort of like you know mm-hmm, ah, mm, yes <laughs> you know, and he's just sort of like figuring all these things out and realizing that oh like this bad guy has stepped in it or like they've done this and you know you see that sort of he doesn't always play things straight yeah you know he he's, he's quite happy to sort of be a little bit low-key like or be a little bit whatever and you know spring it later Do you know we saw it with Again, going back to the keys of Marinus, the trial at the end. He knew everything that had happened and he knew exactly where it was. But as opposed to just saying here, he knew that in order for it to work, he had to play the long game and he enjoyed himself while he was doing it. Yeah. You know, letting other people walk into it and ruin it themselves. He's a law and order uh, Doctor Who moment. It was great. (laughs) Um, his final strength that I have, and again, some may question if this is a strength. However, 
I think it's a strength of this doctor and his scientific slash historian nature. Because again, he's a lover of history. So we, we always mm. say he's a scientist. He's also a lover of history. Just to... Yeah. Is his fashion sense. <laughs> right? You laugh. But one of the key things that we notice, and it particularly comes up in the massacre, it comes up again in the gunfighters, and we see it in a few others as well, the crusades, it comes up, is he recognizes the fact that if they stand out, they mm. attract attention. Yeah. And particularly in a historical setting, that is not good. No. So where possible in historical settings, he tries to blend in as much as he can and that's something we don't get with later doctors and i think we should (laughs) i I think when they moved away from the pure historicals they also moved away from the the blending in sense and like they wanted Mm. to make the doctor appear to be the alien that he actually is so have him just appear in his normal clothing in these anachronistic settings i i can't say the word leave me alone people um it kind of just made the character stand out a small bit more. But I liked it during Hartnell's run. Yeah, and I I like it because, again, it shows the historian and the scientist where mm. he doesn't want to interfere. No. You, know, you can't change history, not one line, including, sorry, David, running around Pompeii in yeah. a pinstripe suit and a trench coat. Like, T- to, be, to be fair, though... He's wearing his normal clothes in that particular setting. <laughs> Granted, you know, he's posing as a celestial entity because he's a servant of Yataxa. So maybe he gets a pass on that one. Well, yeah, but as in, actually, even just going from there, like after the Aztecs, yeah, he makes sure they change their clothes. Yeah, that's true. Do you know? He's making sure that they blend in because he doesn't want to have an impact. And maybe it was the Aztecs that did it. Do you know? Mm. Yeah, because like everything... he decided after the Aztecs, do you know what? We made an impact here. We really shouldn't have. Yeah, because like, what is it in time? Like, so yeah, you've got the, the Romans would be the next... Or you've got Reign of Terror. He dresses appropriately. Yeah. You then have the Romans. He dresses appropriately. Uh, Crusades dresses appropriately. Time Meddler wears a traveling cape to cover his normal clothing and then wears mm. a monk's habit. His yes yeah, style in the massacre, from what we've seen, is appropriate. Yeah, so after that, everything after that point, I think the smugglers is probably the only time where he doesn't dress appropriately, where he I keeps think the his smugglers normal. and uh, mythmakers. Yeah, are the two. But then again, he's posing as Zeus, so like when he's posing as some, when he's posing as something other than himself, I think mm-hmm. he can kind of forgive it. Yeah. Also, when he doesn't know when they where they've landed. Yeah. And then he loses access to the ship. That's understandable. Do you know? yeah. But yeah, so for me, those are his key strengths. Is his wit and mischievousness, his scientific slash historian nature, and how that plays into his fashion sense, which I love. And as he said, Bo Brummel always said he looked good in a cape. <laughs> and I, I want to give a special mention to his yeah. fashion sense, to the web planet. And the fact that he had a white hat to match his white... Parker jacket, yeah. Yeah. Which I just love. Cool. Weaknesses. Yeah. Um, I think they're kind of obvious. 
Well, yeah, like obviously he's you know blatant sexism and misogyny, and you know it's just oh, it's yeah. there. Yeah, it's it's oh, there. Yeah, he from... hates women completely. Yeah, they they they're only good for cleaning. They're only good, you know, for rescuing. Yeah. We <laughs> joke, of course. Yeah, yeah. The, the Homer Simpson line. In case you can't tell, we're being sarcastic. Yeah. Um, no, we will get. We will get. We will get to that eventually. But now was not the time to discuss it. Yeah, I, I think maybe we might touch it just before we finish up this episode and our, our thoughts and feelings on that. Now that we've gone through the entire run, for me, his two main weaknesses are that he is very quick to anger. Mm. He gets angry and belligerent very quickly particularly if he feels personally offended we saw it a lot with ian and barbara even when they were having fun together he still loses the rag every now and again particularly if we think about the beginning of the reign of terror yeah where they insulted his ability to fly the episode before yeah and he gets the grump and, and says that he's going to kick them out of the ship and he doesn't care where they are or when yeah just get out or even like you know with St- uh, Stephen yeah. yeah and you know the problem with that attitude is A it makes it quite difficult to like him if you're mm. watching stories out of order and that's your first experience with him but also it just it's just it's a weakness in general do you know like he yeah. usually gets it under control fairly quickly in his defence mm. Yeah. But this sort of hairpin trigger is a bit is a bit much. Um his other main weakness I had cuz I, I only wrote down two um is that he and this sort of feeds off the weakness the, the it sort of feeds off the quick to anger piece. He is so self-centered. <laughs> yeah. Now this changes over time. Mm. Again, give him the benefit of the doubt right it does change over time but again if we're looking at i mean the whole story of the daleks is based around him being completely self-centered mm-hmm. even reign of terror like susan makes the point of well he's not going to want to leave now mm. inevitably that ends up having nothing to do with him he gets caught in a fire yeah. and they get captured but like susan had kind of hinted that like if that hadn't happened he still would have wanted to stay there yeah because he has a personal vested interest. So he can be very self-centered. And mm. you're very much, you know, this is a problem for me. This is bothering me. I want this. And while he gets better at it over time, as obviously our human characters have an impact on him and his empathy grows and whatever, mm. it is still a weakness that, to be honest, never really goes away. All no. of the doctors, in my opinion, have a little bit of self-centeredness that runs through them yeah sometimes that shows out as ego sometimes it just shows out as like a superior nature or whatever the case may be but they do all have this little string of self-centeredness that runs the whole way through oh big time absolutely um so like i you know i'd agree with the self uh, self-centeredness uh, i'd also kind of venture like that that can lead to him being stubborn at times like mm. really digging his heels in as to you know, not wanting to do stuff or wanting to do stuff. Like you gave the example of, you know, the reign of terror, which is completely understandable. Even if with the Romans, where it's like he wants to go to Rome and, you know, he's sick and tired of the two kind of, or Ian and Barbara's, he views it nursemaiding him. 
and it's just like again it's that sort of you know whole thing it's like well I want to do this so I'm going to go and do it you know yeah never mind the fact that it was probably a good thing that they stayed in this small town yeah. where they wouldn't attract attention <laughs> <laughs> exactly um, no this was I, I had this as a weakness that actually kind of, it felt like a bit of a run through uh, for the first season definitely mm. was he is very abrasive and he takes an awful long time to warm to people yes and that's not just with uh, Ian and Barbara but if you think about it it's you go through uh, Marco Polo and again no it's the circumstances of having the TARDIS taken away from his control but he's not in the best of moods mm-hmm. then you run through um, you know the Keys of Marinus and run through the Sensorites and you run through he's very abrasive to new people yeah because they seem to be interfering with his desire to get back into TARDIS or they're just interfering with his general ooh let's take a look around type thing now it does it does go away after more time and it, you get to the stage where like Sarah Kingdom the person that had been trying to kill them the minute that she realises she's been betrayed he is very welcoming and open arms to her mm. so like, to go from what you have there to what you had in Dalek's Master Plan that's that's great character progression but yeah. it it does take like we say eight stories for us it's eight weeks but for the viewing audience it's what the better part of you know a seven year. months yeah the better part <laughs> the better part of a year to get these final kinks worked out with this character no I say kinks not in the sense of like it's it's character progression it's the character growth for the doctor but it never goes away either do you know no it doesn't like Ben that, like and Polly that... did exactly what Ian and Barbara did in the doctor's opinion they yeah. burst into his ship um, Dodo did the same and there's that initial belligerence and hmm. get the fuck out <laughs> like who the hell are you how dare you and blah 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 but I think the time that it takes him to get over it is getting smaller and smaller yeah absolutely but you know it, it is the running through of the whole like we even have it in um, David Tennant's run you know The Runaway Bride it's like what are you doing in here how did you get in here <laughs> just like <laughs> it's just like in fairness uh, that was an extreme case because she popped out of the fuck nowhere so I, yeah true uh, before we go on to the high points and low points uh, I don't want to I don't want to leave it hanging through the rest of the thing we made the comment there a few minutes ago about the doctor's sexism and you know his misogyny so uh, for Peter Capaldi's last episode Twice Upon a Time which was uh, a special, the first Doctor is introduced again at his regeneration point. And for reasons that I think are completely misplaced, given what what, uh, Stephen Moffat said in the interview, the Doctor is rewritten to suit a purpose. His characteristics are rewritten to suit an agenda. And he does a huge disservice to... William Hartnell's legacy as the first Doctor and the legacy of the first Doctor is in general. The where it comes from is we talked about it in Dalek's Invasion, like you know, like you're if you keep that up, you'll get a jolly well smack bottom. Has been ramped up to the nth degree to reflect. Yeah, he said that the he said that the first Doctor wasn't very progressive, but I think what he meant was that when the Doctor when the first Doctor was being aired, it wasn't a very progressive time. And I think the twenty, like even like yeah, like the twenty nine stories we've just gone through from nineteen sixty three to nineteen sixty six, show that for its time, Doctor Who was very progressive. Yeah. So to rewrite the character to 
to make a comment on the time period is completely wrong, in my opinion. Yeah, and <clears throat> we talked about this at the time, but it keeps coming up. And it really bothers me and it actually upsets me because William Hartnell put so much into this role. He cared so much about it, do you know? Hmm. And even when he was ill, he was still trying to give the best performance that he could give. Hmm. And for someone like Moffat to come along and say, oh, well, he was just a misogynistic asshole. It, it's kind of shitting on William Hartnell's memory. It you is. Know? And, like, <sighs> Doctor Who wouldn't be where it is if it wasn't for William Hartnell. Kids hmm. really connected with him. And they connected with him for a reason. And they wouldn't have connected with him if he was a royal asshole. Like, there's video footage of him, like, attending various different things dressed as the Doctor and the crowds are going wild for him. It's, like, no different than, say, a modern equivalent of Tom Holland came out in his Spider-Man outfit, you know, at a at a public gathering. You know, that type yeah. of thing. Um, one thing I think that it also did was that... Uh, so, David Bradley, who... He played William Hartnell in the docudrama uh, Adventure in Space and Time. He also plays the first Doctor in Twice Upon a Time, which is the regeneration story. And unfortunately, it has this thing of where you're la- you're labeling the actor as being responsible when it's not the actor's fault; it's the writing. David Bradley is ama- like the David Bradley has the mannerisms of the first Doctor down perfectly. He acts the part perfectly. It's just the dialogue is all wrong. It's yeah. not what will come out of the first Doctor. And I don't want to spend too much more time on that because it actually does annoy me. So how about we move on to something that will give us happiness and discuss the <laughs> high points and the low points of the first Doctor? Cool. So, best episodes. I have three. Same here. Um, okay, I'll go first this time around. So okay. going with my least best, yeah. so in the bronze position, I have the Daleks master plan. Hmm. Ignoring episode seven. <laughs> <laughs> For me, what the Daleks master plan is, again, if you are someone who you believed everything that was presented in Twice Upon a Time, Mm. or you painted the first Doctor character with the fact that William Hartnell as a person wasn't the best to get along with. Yeah. Right. Then, for me, the Daleks Master Plan is a perfect story to show you the full gamut of the first Doctor as a character. Yeah. It's admittedly a very long story. Just skip episode 7. However, you have his intelligence, his wit, his compassion, his anger, all of it. It all comes to the fore his, in his, that and one story. And his, his sorrow, most importantly, his sorrow. His sorrow, his refusal to let things play out when millions of people or billions of people could die. His, you know willingness to sacrifice himself twice in Mm. that story and i think for me if i have to pick one story that runs the complete gamut from beginning to end like it has the sorrowful heartfelt moments it has some of the funny moments Mm. it has his compassion it has his anger it has his scientific mind dalek's master plan I think is a really good choice. It's a bit long though, is the only thing. So if you're watching that as your first story, it's also very depressing. Um, 
that might be taking a little bit to get used to. But if you're someone who is like, I just want to see what William Hartnell was like. Hmm. And you kind of know going in, it's going to be a bit of a depressing story with three companion deaths. Then, you know, I think it's a it's a very good representation of him yeah. as a character. No, no, I agree. That That's, to save a small bit of time, that's actually my number three. <laughs> <laughs> it was nearly the Censorites. Because he has such a very strong performance in the Censorites in terms of, because Ian has taken out of it for a bit due to the fact that he yeah. gets sick. But the doctor, that's his real science episode. You know, he's doing, he's trying to come up with a cure. We get the montage of him doing science. Uh, His really silly checklist. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, don't knock the checklist. Do not knock the checklist. I love a checklist. I love a good checklist. But like, like we talk about like his fashion sense. We talk about like, you know, even when like the ship is being taken over, you know, like the, the controls of it, he regains control of it back. Also, without the, without the support of any of the sensorites or without Ian, uh, like his secondary science bro he goes into the cave system by himself mm. and after knowing that there's stuff in there that's lethal he still decides to go back in there so like it, that that was nearly my number three but the reason I think that I picked the Daleks master plan over the sensorites is that it's a much longer story so we do get to see that full spectrum of the doctor William Hartnell's acting ability first and foremost but the doctor's full range of emotions. And unlike the sensory, we got to see sorrow. Not once, not twice, but thrice. Three times. To various different degrees. Yeah. And, like, I think, I, yeah, I passed the comment on, you know, the, in our review of it. Is that this is the first time that even though, like, technically he's won, the doctor has lost. Yeah. Because he, he has lost. He's saved billions. But to him, a loss is a loss. And he can, he can never get that back. So... Yes, it's long. And like we refer to it as the first epic story. And that's because it is. It's an epic tale. And it is well worth the watch. Except yeah. for episode seven. <laughs> so, what is your number two? My number two spot and two and one flipped. Okay. Several times. But I'm going to give my number two spot to the Aztecs. All right. Because... For me, the Aztecs was the first time we really get to see intelligent, compassionate, caring, fun Doctor. Like, properly. Mm. And he's just such a blast in that story. The love Doctor. The love Doctor, as as you say. Um, he's just such a blast in that story. But still, even with all of that, it, for me, I had an issue with the end of Edge of Destruction. And we discussed this at the time. Hmm. where Barbara was very forgiving of someone being an absolute dick to her. Yeah. And I argued that he didn't actually apologise to her properly. Hmm. But I love the relationship that they have. And for me, the Aztecs was really the centre point of that relationship. Hmm. Do you know? And it was really, for me, a big building block of where the Doctor and Barbara got and to go back to what we were talking about a while ago with people saying that the doctor's a misogynist and sexist, whatever, his relationship with Barbara alone shows how that's not true. And the Aztecs is, for me, the definitive moment of their of their friendship. Because their arguments back and forth, it's not a, it's not a condescending man talking no. to a woman. It's... I would view two equals because he knows Barbara is a teacher. He knows that she's educated at this point in time. 
So he's trying to make her see the full ramifications that are like outside the scope of any human being, be they man, woman, or whatever. And her, her just like her goodness and her belief and like that desire to do good that's what the that's what the two arguments are and what's your number one my number one is the romans all right is there a specific reason why it's number one because it's the romans it's amazing (laughs) (laughs) he's amazing in it cool and he plays nero like a fiddle or a liar (laughs) right my number two is the romans (laughs) (laughs) because Right, the Romans is just a fun story. Yeah, that's that's all. That's all it is. And like now we discussed all right the the whole thing with Nero and his obsession with Barbara. But like like aside from that point, it's just a fun story the whole way through. I mean, like the Doctor taking on the assassin by giving him like you know judo throws and just like hitting him with every cup inside the room and a blanket and all this type of shit and giving out to Vicky for ruining his fun, or his you know. Realization, you know, like he accident, you know, accidentally or, you know, de- destined to give Nero the, the inspiration to burn Rome. Like it's just a fun story. That's all. That's all it is. The Aztecs is my number one because of, for a four episode story. So much happens in it. And, I know that we said that Caroline Ford unfortunately was absent during it. Yeah. She had our pre filmed inserts. But the writing for that story for each of those four characters is just, you know, chef's kiss. It's just, mwah, it's fantastic. And when it comes to Hartnell, it's his best performance because we get to see his traveler in time. Like, you cannot change history. You cannot rewrite history, not one line. We get to see his softer, caring side with Kameka. You know, the, I think I've just gotten engaged. <laughs> his um, jovi- jovi- joviality. Yeah, I think that's the word. I was going to say, say it. With everyone. Uh, with Ian, with Barbara. We get to see his concern, you know, when Ian is trapped in the the tunnel uh, or when, you know, Ian's in the fight or just anything. Whenever anyone happens to his family, mm. he's concerned. But one kind of, I think it's like a nice little crowning piece in that story is the very sweet moment where he almost leaves Kameka's love token behind and then he decides to bring it on with him. Yeah. So... We talked about your know, Dalek's master plan being like you know like the full spectrum of everything across this big epic tale. I think we get almost as much and the seeds for everything else in the Aztecs, and the Aztecs is the like normally I go like when people ask me like oh what's a, a Hartnell story to tell you know to show people, if I want him to have fun I'd go with the Romans, but if I want him to get a sense of Doctor Who under Hartnell's tenure, I'd go with the Aztecs. Yeah, I think for me, the reason why I flipped them is I agree with everything you say about the Aztecs. Yeah. And I think the fact that we have the Aztecs and the Daleks master plan as the sort of snapshot in the epic, I think, yeah. works quite well. I think for me, the reason why I prefer the Romans personally is we see his his Yoda-ness <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. full force in the Romans. And that's what I love about yeah. Hartnell. Yeah. Um, I love the intelligent, caring, and compassionate aspect we see of him in the Aztecs. I love all that. I think that's great. But for me, watching the Doctor kind of be the one who bumbles from scene to scene. Yeah. You know, things keep happening around him. But the reason why I think it stands out really well for like the portrayal of the Doctor is with that fight scene. Hmm. 
we can see that and you know this kind of sets up what happens later he can take care of himself mm. he doesn't need ian there to fight all the battles for him yeah and like we we saw it in the rescue which was beforehand when he goes one-on-one with bennett yeah and we see it again later on in the crusades when he picks up the sword to defend um Depreu. yeah like that he's a t- like you know he's a tough old bird yeah. And I think I think that's one of the things that was used to describe him during the the uh, the pitch to William Hartnell, because like William Hartnell had been like William Hartnell was known for playing like toughs like you know gangsters or sergeants or military guys, mm. so like for the Romans you know it's just completely it's just the jolly old man having fun who can take care of himself. Yeah. So I I think the Romans and the Aztecs, they they're, they're the two stories I will always recommend to people to watch. Yeah. Uh, and for two completely different reasons. If you're just looking for a fun, you know, la- you know, spit-your-sides laughing time, it's the Romans. If you're looking to kind of see what, like, the Doctor Who-ishness of his time was, I would say the Aztecs. And if you've got a full evening or afternoon on your hands and you yeah. want something to do for the better part of six hours, <laughs> yeah. you have the Dice Master plan. Absolutely. I feel like we should have done the weaknesses first so we could end this on a high. But no. Um, so, with the low points, um, as always, it's like what we deem to be like the character's worst moments through either their lack of presence or just, just really, really bad, you know, character moments in, in it. Yeah. So, uh, will I go first this time or do you want to go first? I don't mind. Well, you went first for the strength, so what I'll do is I'll... Uh, right, so my number three story is Marco Polo. Now, Marco Polo, as we said, is actually a sleeper hit because we had, we're after coming off uh, a big, huge prologue arc in terms of an unearthly child, the Daleks, and the wonderful Edge of Destruction. And then Marco Polo is, it's a real test because it's all missing. Mm. It's all done by narration. And, you know, I'm, Trish, like, as a first time viewer of it, like, were you prepared for how much you enjoyed it? No, I, but I didn't think I'd really enjoyed that much at all because it was completely missing and I had avoided it beforehand yeah. for that very reason. I think I think I tried to watch it once, yeah. um, but I think I'd watched the version that came bundled on the DVD. Yeah, which, the 30-minute the 30, the 30 summary. Yeah, which, which wasn't good. So, Marco Polo itself is a good story. However, the Doctor is really in the background for it. Because it's Mar- Marco is you know really prevalent in it, uh, be the he the hero or the villain of the piece. <laughs> for, for for more discussion on that, listen to Marco Polo uh, our recap of Marco Polo. Um, but like so like you know, you've got Marco's presence in Marco's own journey. You've got Ian being action man Ian. You've got Barbara, unfortunately at times being put in the damsel in distress mode, but she also has her really strong moments as well. Yeah, but one of the reasons why she's put in damsel in distress mode is because of her curiosity and her... <laughs> she puts herself in them rather than just being... Being kidnapped. Yeah. By Tegana... That comes Tega- <laughs> <laughs> By Tegana dastardly. Uh, and then you've got uh, Susan, who's like really kind of, I suppose, the the commentary piece in terms of like, you know, Ping Cho's arranged marriage to a much older man and the whole things of arranged marriage and... Yeah. And unfortunately, the Doctor is, he's really in the background until we meet Kubla Khan. And then it's just like two old farts, like complaining about who's like the most run down. Um, so that's uh, Marco for me. I think that's my number three. 
Uh, my no- my number two is the Daleks, hmm. because not just because of the Thals, but, <laughs> but because in it the Doctor is so selfish and so yeah he's just so stubborn and he's such an asshole. He has one or two shining moments, but even when he tells Barbara, you know, my dear, I need to think, my, reappraise my you know con- uh, impression of you. It's kind of condescending. Hmm. And like the Daleks is a, is a milestone because like okay it's a seven episode story after a four week serial, so let's see how the attention spans last. It introduces the Daleks, you know, like the one the the it's the longest running villain in Doctor Who and one of the most famous villains worldwide in sci fi. And you've got like again really good character development by the two Earthlings that have been brought along on this fantastic voyage, and you just have the Doctor being a real fucking prick. <laughs> in it and I know that's part of his development but like in an earthly child he does have his tender moments kind of like you know like you know, when he's like apologising and like you know we need to work together and that kind of stuff but in the Daleks I didn't really get as much of that as I got in an earthly child and then for my number one spot like it's the gunfighters just thinking you know, fuck it <laughs> I, I talked about the gun I thought about I talked about him being the only enjoyable thing in the gunfighters and there are moments where he's really funny however like like I know you're in pain for the two take but Jesus Christ cop the fuck on like where's your common sense where's your bullshit radar going like and also when like um Kate, you know, like when you know he's in the saloon with the Clantons and they think he's Doc Holiday, and Doc, the real Doc Holiday shoots the gun out of one of the Clantons' hands, and then Kate, you know, kind of come on, Doc, you know, pull your gun. And he's like, "Why are you dancing to her tune? Mm. Like you, you've shown that you're well capable of dealing with three simpletons like these guys through your words alone, through your brain alone. Why are you dancing to other people's tune? Not, not even just Kate and Doc, but Wyatt. Why are you following along with their plans when you do know better?" So, yeah, that's my worst story for Hartnell. So, my worst episodes, you've mentioned all of them. All right. All right. So, I'll start my number three spot. I actually went with an unearthly child at my number three spot. Okay. And here's the reason why. An unearthly child by itself, while thankfully the version that aired, the Doctor is less of a prick. Hmm. He kidnaps people, seemingly out of spite. (laughs) He has zero sympathy for anybody and he was going to kill a man while he was down. Yeah. And for me, it's probably the least doctor-like he has ever been. And the reason why I chose that over the Daleks, which I did th- I did consider the Daleks because of the whole self-centered nature of the fluid link and all that kind of jazz. Hmm. The reason why I chose an earthy child over the Daleks is because looking at the doctor as a whole so through all of the William Hartnell era and up on into you know up to now with Jodie the doctor always every doctor has had its their selfish moments hmm. where they do something and they don't tell the companions you know like Sylvester McCoy's entire run apparently you know was all yeah you know doing all this stuff behind the companions back so for me with the Daleks it sort of gives an insight into who he is hmm that he would do that. With an unearthly child though, you just it makes you not like him. Yeah. And for me, I'm really glad that viewers held on till the Daleks, till the edge of destruction, right on into Marco Polo, because 
the way they portrayed the character, if you only watched that one story and you never watched anything else, you'd probably have a very dim view of the Doctor yeah. as a character. So that's why I picked an Unearthly Child out of those two. Cool. My next one is the Gunfighters. All right. Putting aside that the whole story was a crock of crap, right? And that's not the reason why I picked it. The Doctor in this is just dumb. Mm. He's just dumb. And we've discussed one of his major strengths is the fact that he's very witty, very intelligent. And in this story, he's just dumb. A. He keeps loaded weapons in his gun collection. B. He has a gun collection. (laughs) And like you said, he's so easily led by everybody. Stop taking weapons and clothes that are being handed to you and just putting them on. Like, what the hell? I think the gunfighters, while his moments were probably the most enjoyable because, yeah, they were funny. Hmm. It was, you know, in, in order of, like, doctorness. Yeah. Yeah, we got to see the funny part of him, which is great, which we didn't see in An Earthly Child. An Earthly Child had no humor from him whatsoever, I don't think. In the gunfighters, it was all humor and very little brains. Yeah. And that's not the man that we've come to love as the Doctor. No. My last one was really difficult, and it was a toss-up between Marco Polo and The Massacre. Both are Doctor Who light stories, as in there's very little of the Doctor in them, Mm. which I didn't realize until watching Hartnell's era how much I, I don't like episodes that he's rarely in <laughs> unless I didn't, Ian know that was, unless, I didn't know that was an issue I had until I watched William unless Hartnell's Ian era unless Ian and Barbara were there to take up the slack yeah exactly the reason like Marco Polo is overall the better story hmm. by and large however I think the doctor contributed less in Marco Polo to well to the story he didn't contribute a whole lot no um, and the bits that he did contribute, like, this is what condensation is, weren't great either. Even in his face-off with Kublai Khan over the game of whatever they were playing, hmm. he loses in the end. <laughs> 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 Do you know? There was no sort of, like, hey, hey I won at the end of it. He lost at the end of it. He lost a great deal. The reason why I picked it over the massacre, though, is... I don't like the massacre. I made that very clear on the day. And I don't like the fact that the doctor was hardly in it. But oh my heart, that monologue at the end. I can't I can't hate him. I can't I can't pick the massacre as a worst doctor episode based purely on that monologue at the end. I was gonna I was gonna make a special reference to the massacre in the sense of he's not in it enough to what I would say he's not in it enough to warrant to go coming into the discussion of whether it's a good or a bad episode. Because as we discussed, as a Doctor Who episode overall, it's not great because of the fact that he's not he's not in it. Yeah. Now I said as a you know, as a story, I loved it. I thought I was really engaged into the story. But in terms of like the Doctor Who aspects of it, you know, like Stephen's contributions and the Doctor's contributions, they're just not there enough. But the monologue needs a special me- mention because, like, that is th- that is a monologue worthy of going into a high point category. Oh yeah. I was I was so torn because mm. in my mind the massacre is a very bad like if you like in terms of the doctor as a character and like if you mm. wanted to pick an episode to watch the doctor as a character the massacre is a terrible choice mm. because he's hardly in it 
but the monologue at the end. Like, at one point, I was considering putting it in the best episodes based purely yeah. on that monologue. Exactly. Because, as I said, like, the episode itself, in terms of Doctor Who, is not great. But in terms of the monologue at the end, it's worthy of going up there with the rewriting of the history, anything he said in the Daleks Master Plan. So, like, that's why we were, like, we, like, we were torn over it. And our uh, friends at Half Measures, Dan and Paul, like, they tweeted that they thought it was the best episodes that we had done hands down because of the discussion we put into it. So, thanks guys. But it's a, <laughs> it's a great, it's a great story for discussion. I would view it that mm. way. In terms of Doctor Who, in terms of the Doctor Who aspects of it, that monologue is the only thing Doctor Who-ish of it. And it's it's That's heartbreaking. So cool. It's heartbreaking. It's beautiful. So I think we should just have a, a, a like it be its own special thing for this rambling. Yeah, and so that's it for me. So I think it's interesting that we're pretty much on the same page when it comes to Hartnell in terms of his strengths, weaknesses, our high points and low points, which makes sense because you and I often share a brain. <laughs> yeah. Now that we've come to the end of Hartnell, though, mm-hmm. how do you feel about moving on to? Patrick Troughton. Um, so I'm excited for it because I want to see. Like, I I like when I first watched it. I liked Patrick Troughton. I liked his time as the Doctor. I think it's just because I like Patrick Troughton in general. I think he's a fantastic actor, and I think he had some really great rapport, like especially with Jamie and Zoe in, in the the latter half of his run. Am I sad to see Bill go? Of course, I'm sad to see Bill go. Like, like um, before we started this rewatch, he's my he's ranked at number three. In my favorite doctors. Um, no, he's gone up to the number two spot. Mm. Uh, whether he'll keep that now is the, the next thing because obviously the rewatch, you know, things might change around. But like when I started watching Doctor Who, as I said before, is that I watched Drips and Drabs uh, prior to the reboot, and then I watched the reboot, and then in it's not a reboot, year, it's sorry, a- sorry, the continuation, continuation. Yeah. Uh, the continuation of it from Christopher Eccleston onwards and then it wasn't until my final year of college when you and I became friends that I really uh, had the opportunity to go back and start from the scratch and like he just kind of stayed like that was over 10 years ago and after over 10 years of watching he is still within my top 5 and I would like his stories are some of the best Doctor Who stories they're some of the best science fiction stories they're just some of the best television around and it obviously parts like you know uh, credit should go to William Russell uh, Jacqueline Hill uh, Caroline Ford Maureen O'Brien because like those are the actors of the golden era of Mm. Hartnell and they're all together they all contributed but it was Hartnell he is the man that made Doctor Who what it is today and I'm sad to see him leave, but I'm delighted to go on and see what his legacy has uh, spawned. You? You're not. You just want him to stay forever and ever. <laughs> I, I do want more of him because I, I mentioned this at the time. I was very upset that, particularly once Vicky left um, and we were full into John Wiles's hmm. run as producer. I didn't like the fact that he was taking a back seat. Yeah. And, you know, Peter Purvis has even said that, like, the Celestial Toymaker was meant to be a test to see if they could do the show without him. 
you know that that's why he's not in the celestial toy maker all that much yeah. the, the show was written to see could the story go without the doctor really being in it all that much and that bothers me because he was such an amazing character he was portrayed so well by william hartnell hmm. and i wasn't really ready for it to end because the last few stories like the gunfighters was shockingly bad the savages uh, it had moments but we didn't really get anything of that golden era caliber like bearing in mind our top two are the romans and the aztecs yeah do you know and those are both from the first yeah the first 16 16 block do you know what i mean i think we were getting a small sense of the golden era back when we had uh, when he joined with ben and polly or at at least but that's the thing he i wanted to see more of him with ben and polly because war machines was actually quite good Mm. and smugglers smugglers not my personal favorite but it was a solid a solid outing and unfortunately with 10th planet obviously because that was filmed several months later and bill's health was really really not good it wasn't his best outing no as the doctor it, not the worst by any stretch hence why we didn't mention it before now but um certainly not his best and what obviously part of me is glad that he stopped because i would have hated for him to overwork himself for him mm. to make his health worse by doing it yeah but i am sad to see him go in terms of patrick troughton i have watched one patrick troughton story before and that's war games which again i think you gave to me possibly so i haven't watched anything else of troughton mm-hmm. largely because most of his stories are missing mm-hmm. and back when we were in college i wasn't really into watching the missing stories yeah but now seeing how much i was still able to enjoy the missing stories again dalek's master plan is my third favorite episode for william yeah. martin i'm actually looking forward to seeing it now particularly because so much of patrick Turton's stuff has been animated yeah like there's still some ones missing some really kind of uh, i would say pinnacle ones like evil mm-hmm. the daleks um but they're doing great efforts to reanimate as much as they possibly can uh now if they could shift that focus to hartnell it would be great yeah um so i'm actually really looking forward to Troughton. i'm looking forward to see how ben and polly react to a new doctor and i i liked Troughton in the mm-hmm. war games when i watched it all those years ago so i'm looking forward to seeing how he'll develop so in terms of Troughton, uh Troughton, Troughton, we will be starting our reviews of him quite soon and the first episode should be released on the first of february indeed indeed now never fear uh in the interim we will be recording three rambling specials that will go live every monday to help fill the void until the first of february they will be daleks the doctor who and the daleks the first peter cushing movie we will then follow that up with daleks invasion art 2150 ad the second peter cushing movie also which i still think has a stupid fucking title (laughs) some would say it's the best it's the best hip and happening title of all time no Um, it's it's a bad title it's a bad title (laughs) and lastly the adventure in space and time or sorry an adventure in space and time which is the docudrama uh, detailing the creation of doctor who uh during the william hartnell era also we will have a special guest joining us our good friends dan and paul from half measures brilliant so we will call it there we'll speak to you next week yep and it's been fun
Bye. Bye.